Welcome to the Sheila Kama Extractive Podcast. Uh, today is my pleasure to welcome my former colleague, Fred Jansen, the former group environmental uh, executive at Debswana, Botswana's largest uh, mining company. Fred is retired and is secretary of the Botswana Chamber of Mines. For 30 years, he worked uh, in Botswana's mining industry, managing the e- engineering projects and later on environmental management for all of 15 years. He was trained in the UK as a mechanical engineer, but also holds a degree uh, in environmental management from South Africa at postgraduate level. Fred, it's lovely to speak to you again. Good morning, Sheila. An absolute pleasure to talk to you. That's fantastic. Well, given your background, I I thought you could just help us with the basics. What do we mean by the environment in our mining uh, project terms? In terms of mining, I tend to use the very wide definition. I, I look at the environment as all those things that sustain the planet, the systems and the things and the resources that need to remain in balance. And the the balance is the important word for the planet to continue to sustain itself. Uh, The planet, including humans, and particularly the quality of life of humans, uh, together with the ecosystems that have to function and uh, keep everything else in place. Uh, You know, every major change has some impact. And you're never going to mine without having an impact. There's always going to be an impact. And the trick is to manage impacts such that the system, the whole thing can still sustain itself. So you, you, you put your finger on it. You use two terms that seem self-evident, but I suspect they're not. So let me ask you to help me and the Sheila Kama Extractive Podcast followers understand this. You said the key word is balance. You take us into your own mind, the balance of what? The, it, it's a resources thing. Um, if you disturb one thing, you, you are reducing its ability to do what it used to do. Uh, for, for example, uh, you, you open a big mining operation, you're using up land, you're taking out some biodiversity. You've got to make sure that you're leaving enough around it to still sustain itself. The same with, with, with water. Mines are notorious for using lots of water. You've got to be sure that you only take up or as much out of the the, the system as is going to enable everything else to continue uh, while at the same time satisfying your your requirements. I mean, if if you look at a, I'll use the example of a diamond mine. Your average diamond mining plant, at least a quarter of that you know, there's, there's some, the ones we use here, here in Botswana, at least a quarter of that infrastructure that you put up is geared towards recovering and reusing water. It does, adds nothing to production. It just is geared at making sure you 
squeeze the most out of that resource and cut down the amounts you take out to the absolute minimum. Hmm. And, and so this balance, this is what you referred to as the ecosystem. In other words, the interrelationship between all of the elements, the renewable, the non-renewable, the plants, and this interdependency. Uh, the key is to extract either uh, soil, uh, water, and other elements in such a way that in the end, there's no distortion of uh, all elements necessary to sustain life forms as we know them today. Would that be about right, Fred? It is, that, that, that is about right, except, you know, that the, the rider is always that, um, you know, if somebody tells you they're gonna open a mine without having some kind of adverse impact, they probably just offering you spin, I think is the modern word for it. There's always gonna be an impact. And the, env the environmental manager's job, and that's a, a question I often had to answer throughout the, the latter part of my career. Mm -hmm. The environmental manager's job is to make sure that that price the environment pays for the resources you get out of the mine is kept as low as possible. Right. In other words, minim minimize your footprint uh, would be the, the summary form of it. Sure. So in some respects, you've touched on this, but I wonder whether we can get to the specifics. You talked about water, you talked about land, uh, there is also air, and then there is, of course, uh, the, the forestry. I mean, could you just very briefly uh, illustrate for us uh, how mining projects interface with these elements? in a way that achieves exactly what you're saying, which is we accept the inevitability of some disturbance of the ecosystem. The key is to minimize it. Tell, give us a sense of how this interface actually takes place. Well, the, the, one, the one item I've already covered, and that's water. Uh, you, you, you design your operation to use as little as possible. Um, land, any mining operation is going to impact a certain piece, uh, amount of land. Uh, if you go to, for example, open cast coal mining, it impacts a bigger piece of land, but uh, at the same time, open cast coal mining is shallow, so it is easier to then rehabilitate afterwards, so you may lose the biodiversity to start off with, but you can put it back in. Uh, with an open cast down mine, it's a little bit more difficult, but the footprint there is a lot smaller. So again, if you take the, our examples in Botswana with the two major um, diamond mines, a, a piece of the biodiversity has been permanently impacted. But uh, we've had a sort of uh, un almost an unintended consequence of the way diamond mines are run and the need to have a security area around it. And in fencing off uh, those security areas, we have ended up conserving biodiversity um, and protecting it against impacts from outside. 
it, it just so happens that in, in, in Botswana of the 1970s and 80s, uh, other industries were expanding as well, and particularly the um, pastoral farming industry where they've moved into areas where before um, it wasn't happening and uh, biodiversity uh, has been heavily impacted by that, leaving almost uh, these two islands of conserved biodiversity. Um, I mean, that's a, not, that wasn't planned. Um, some people will tell you it was a great plan. It, it was almost an unintended consequence that we managed to conserve that. Um, in the sort of general uh, thing, you are going to lose a piece of land. Um, that biodiversity is going to be gone. So you then start looking at offsets. You, 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 you plant either around the mine or somewhere else. You know, you, it doesn't have to be right there. You, 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 you can do offsets uh, by, for example, supporting a reforestation program somewhere else um, in the country. Water, I'm afraid it's a, it's a case of just look after what you've got and look after it very carefully. Uh, try and re <coughs> reuse as much as you can. Uh, yeah, obviously, you know, there's technology available these days to minimize emissions you put out to air. Mines are not major emitters. Um, it's the, the industries that spring from mines that are major emitters to the air. Your, your sort of impacts from mining are almost always dust and dust related. <coughs> and the technology, um, you know, to, to, to control that from within your plant is very well developed these days. And if it's designed properly and maintained properly, you can reduce that down to quite low levels, uh, levels that are not gonna cause significant impacts uh, either to people or uh, the surrounding uh, biodiversity. Hmm. So, uh, of course, I, having worked for both DBS Botswana and being a, a non-executive director of Botswana, know what you're talking about when you say the fencing. Uh, basically, what you're saying is um, wherein the mines uh, and the lease area is fenced just by doing that. Uh, the species, animal and otherwise, in that area have continued without uh, interruption. But those that are outside, where you have towns and villages erupting, have uh, unfortunately suffered. So it's an unintended but positive impact of uh, action that was not taken with a view to the environment, but with a view to securing the product because of its uh, somewhat mobile nature. But, but I, I, I want to ask you to please uh, explain a little more what you mean by offsets. Uh, it, it's not self-evident. What is an offset and what are you offsetting? An offset is um, when you go out um, with an open cast mine, that place where you've dug the big hole, nothing is gonna grow there anymore you are losing that biodiversity, it's gone. Um, you keep it as small as possible, but it is gone. Now, to compensate, you can 
plant other things either around your mind, within your mind area, or you can plant them um, somewhere else. The, the, the form it commonly takes is support for reforestation programs. Not being done on a big scale in Botswana, but in other places, there have been big uh, reforestation programs um, and uh, that have had significant impact. Um, but that is really is what an offset is. It, it's, it, it's when you have done damage in one place, but you go to another place and do good there. Uh, to reduce it to its simplest terms. And it, it's usually uh, in the area of reforestation and uh, planting alternative vegetation. Mm. So, so really it's, uh, it, it's, it's like you, you started at the top by saying um, we need a balance. And so in the big scheme of things, you don't have to offset immediately around you. The assumption is that if uh, you do good environmentally, uh, you contribute to not only the sustainability, but the balance of the ecosystem, the way that you were speaking, because in the end, when we think of the environment, especially climate change, global warming, though we may be acting locally, the impact is global. And, and therefore the offsets allow us to contribute to this continuous balance. You said something also, Fred, about how mining per se uh, is not a major emitter, but that it is the associated industries. Uh, give us a, a, a concrete example, because my understanding is that you're talking about mining upstream versus downstream. Take the listener through visually what, that, what, what those industries are and why they differ in what is called scope one and scope two emissions. Uh, the, the, the two sort of, in fact, the simplest example is the one we do have um, here in Botswana, just up the road at uh, at Murupule, where the coal mine, they dig the the, the the coal out and it's been an underground operation until recent times. Uh, very little is emitted from the actual coal mining, even to the point where uh, you know, there may be some dust, but nothing significant. But then it goes next door to the power station and they burn it. And in burning it, um, you can see it coming, the, 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 the flue gas coming out the top from a long way off. Um, I don't know how the, the design is of our new power station or, or our not so new power station at Murupila, but my hope would be that the design of the thing would be such that the extraction systems will have reduced the, the, the amount of uh, gases going out the top from what they were before. But that, I mean, that's the simplest example. The other, the other big example is, is an iron ore smelter for, or a smelter of any metals uh, thing. Uh, the ore comes from underground, not much by way of uh, emissions, but as soon as it gets to that smelter, uh, it uh, starts producing uh, 
gases that uh, particulates as well that will settle onto the surrounding uh, land and need a lot more management than the actual mining operation. I mean, those, those, those are the two, you know, sort of standout examples. Mm -hmm. So, so really, uh, the the fact that uh, the extraction of the ore uh, from the ground is not so energy intensive, and you you are not really processing the chemical substances at that stage. Uh, therefore, you are not unleashing any, uh, you know, potentially uh, acidic substances in the air, depending on the mineral. You're also not uh, releasing high levels of CO2. And therefore, uh, in purely um, carbon emission terms, the most extreme activities in mining uh, are not as intensive as the downstream where you start to burn the, the concentrate to produce uh, the metal. And when you do so, between the combination of energy, combustion and, and others, then it, it becomes quite intensive. And, and I think that is an important distinction to make, to recognize that progression and where uh, the intensity begins to to happen I, I i should ask you when i listen to you um we have of course the non-renewables of which minerals are and then we have water and then we have uh forestry and others i mean it sounds to me like part of the environmental challenge of mining is really the impact that those activities have on the renewable uh, natural resources. Is, is that correct? Yes, in, in, in the sense that uh, in my initial definition, I sort of added the, the phrase along the quality of life uh, of humans. Uh, humans need the land to grow their food. Uh, if you're going to change that in a way that they cannot, they can no longer grow the same amount that they were growing before, you have now moved the goalposts. So you try to keep that as small as possible and remediate where you can. Mm. Yeah, you know, Fred, the way I always saw the difference between the uh, finite resources, minerals and others, is that wherein most of the renewable natural resources, water, land, forestry, etc., speak to exactly that, the, the, the humans and animals and plants and their right to continue to exist. Uh, minerals speak more to how man, uh, industry, and the world's economy has evolved over time. These, these are a product of the way we live, uh, rather than the renewables that are as the essentials of how we are and what we need to subsist and, and therefore relate, I think, fundamental to human rights. 
So Fred, uh, when I reflect on the history and the evolution of mining uh, as an industry, I'm mindful that there was a time when, you know, the subject of the environment wasn't a big issue, much less a center stage as it is today. And so from your own experience, you know, generally, not necessarily Botswana, just the industry, at what point do you think uh, the penny dropped and the industry realized that it could not be business as usual and that they had to, the industry had to apply its mind to its impact on this ecosystem and the potential to be stored in the balance? I think um, the short answer is in about 1960, a lady called Rachel Carson wrote a book called Silent Spring. And uh, her message to the world was, uh, catch a wake up. You've been using the planet up at a rate that's not sustainable. You are going to get yourself in a situation where you can no longer, as the human race, sustain yourself. And that's my summary of what she said. The mining industry took a little longer. In the sort of 60s and into the 70s especially, and even into the 1980s, you started getting individuals around the place asking themselves the question of, are we doing the right thing? There was a push from the safety side as well. Um, uh, in you know, 1951 or somewhere thereabouts in South Africa, next door to us, they established a, an organization called the National Occupational Safety Association, which worked in the mines and its objective was to make the place safer. You know, the numbers of fatalities in mines in those days uh, is best not uh, repeated, but it was not good. Uh, so they established that organization way back then, and it was very basic. And, you know, we worked with it through uh, sort of the early days of our development as young engineers and managers in the mines. But uh, the industry soon came to realize that global public opinion uh, uh, was bad in its assessment of mining. And, you know, somewhere along the line, um, the... The, the people that ran the organization globally asked themselves the question of, you know, why is it that, you know, they thought they were doing a great job. They paid people and they thought they paid people well and they employed a lot of people. So they thought because we, we provide a lot of jobs, we are really good for the, the economy and we're good for uh, mankind here. But why is it that global public opinion think we stink? They didn't have an answer. A bunch of wise men met, I think, somewhere in, probably was Toronto in Canada, about 2000 or thereabouts. They didn't have an answer. So the wiser amongst them said, well, let's try and find out. So they engaged Wits um, University, amongst others, to do a study on the interaction of the mining industry and its surroundings uh, effectively its environment uh, was quite a, a big 
program, it was sort of, uh, there was a Southern African component, there was a North American component, there was a Europe component, there was an Australian component. So it was a fairly big attempt at actually finding answers. And out of that came lists of recommendations. Uh, one of the recommendations was you should start to act jointly uh, in things surrounding safety, the environment and your interaction with uh, um, the rest of society. Uh, one or two were doing great things, were doing good things, but they were being dragged down by the weakest link in the chain. So out of that uh, resulted the establishment of the International Council on Mining and Metals, which is a London-based organization. And its whole objective was to identify good practice and where there was no good practice to bring together the best brains the industry had around the same table. And they did this on a six monthly basis in London, starting around early 2001. And that's still going on now. It's been disrupted a little bit by uh, COVID, obviously. But what it did was it brought together around the same table, the best brains, people who understood mining, who understood the systems and put the safety and environmental management people in the same room as the CEO and around a table for a week. And from that, they've developed good practice. So the tools are there. It's a case of getting traction in using them now. Yeah, so uh, here is uh, a, a, a short final uh, wrap up question. Uh, I mean, in mining terms, what would be some of the things that differentiate mining uh, onshore with mining offshore environmentally? You know, just top level, what are the differences environmentally? Mining offshore, quite often the, the, the impacts are on marine, marine biology. Um, and it, 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 it's almost exclusively marine biology that's impacted. Uh, onshore, you get you know, smoke emissions, will have, uh, particulate emissions, dust emissions, noise emissions will affect people. Um, the, you know, where there's particulates, there are health issues involved. With offshore mining, the impact is almost always on, on, on uh, the marine biology side. Um, makes it in theory, you would think because it's just more or less one thing, it's more—it's easier to manage, but uh, it's, it's much longer term. A, a remediation there is a much longer term um, uh, effort, if um, at all you can do it. Absolutely. Well, uh, Fred, thank you very much for your time. I appreciate your insights. My pleasure, absolutely.